Good morning, everybody. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for the encouraging time together worshiping God so far. Um, thanks to those of you who are with us in spirit and online, um, joining with us together in our worship to God. What a blessing it is to be gathered together to praise God. As I was thinking about um, the words of that song we just sang, that line always gets me um, in the third verse, only a holy God. Uh, what other name remains undefeated? Amen. Only a holy God. Uh, I remember when I was in college at my alma mater, we used to have these T-shirts that we would sell to make money for the school. Um, and it said Florida College football. And it had a picture of a helmet and it said still undefeated. And the reason they did that is because we didn't have a football team. So uh, we never <laughs> lost in any of our games. Um, but, uh, you know, God is not a God who, who is undefeated because he hasn't been in the battle. The God that we worship and the God that we praise is a God who's been into battle many times, and he's never lost a battle, and he's never lost a war. We praise God for that. Um, so over the course of this year, we are looking at the signs of a spirit-led life. And uh, one of the things that we've noticed in Scripture is that there's more weight given in Scripture to the fruit of the Spirit than to the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, you see a lot more emphasis in Scripture given to uh, what are the fruit that the Spirit should produce in us than the, than the spiritual gifts that, uh, that Christians would exercise. Um, to say that another way, the gifts of the Spirit are not necessarily a sign that someone is living a life led by the Spirit. Let me say that again. The gifts of the Spirit are not necessarily a sign that someone is living a Spirit-led life. Jesus said, actually, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21, he said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? And in your name, perform many miracles. In essence, people are going to say to God, didn't we have all these spiritual gifts? Weren't we exercising these spiritual gifts? Isn't that proof that we had your spirit in us? To which Jesus will say to them plainly, verse 23, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So having spiritual gifts does not prove that someone is a disciple of Jesus. In fact, actually, Jesus spent a lot of his ministry teaching about the kinds of fruit that one produces in, a, in one's life. In, in one place in the Gospel of John, this is Gospel of John chapter 15, the chapter right before a reading that was just read for us by Brother Tony. John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Did you catch that? How is God glorified? That we bear much fruit and so prove to be disciples of our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. So how do we know if we're disciples of Jesus? How do we know if we're if the life that we're living is a, is a life that is led by the Spirit? This is what Jesus is saying. This is how you know. It's through the fruit that you produce. It's through the fruit that, that is produced in your life. So for this reason, uh, we're taking a look each month of the year at um, some of the fruits of the Spirit as they are uh, revealed in Scripture. Uh, and last month, we talked about the kind of love that the Spirit produces in his people. Today, I'd like to look with you at the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk with you today uh, about this joy that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a Christian. We need joy. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in our city. There's a lot going on in our lives that threatens our joy, That's that the devil uses to seek to steal away our joy. And so I want to talk with you today a little bit about uh, the source of joy in the scriptures. Uh, and then I want to say a few things about the uniqueness of joy in Christ. And finally, we'll talk about what the scripture says about the pathway to joy. That is, how do we get that joy? How do we maintain that joy? How do we renew, renew that joy that we have through Christ Jesus our Lord? So first, let's look at the source. Where does joy come from? And let me just say this as we get started here. Where does joy come from? Joy is a gift from God. Joy is a gift from God. In fact, did you know this? The word for joy in, uh, in the New Testament, the word for joy comes from the same root from which we get the word for grace. The word for joy comes from the same root from which we get the word from grace. It refers to a gladness or a delight or a pleasure, you might say, that is a product of grace. Do you hear me there? Joy is a product of God's grace. Joy comes from an awareness of God's grace. That's why we sing these songs of salvation, to remind us and to renew our hearts and our minds with the grace that God has given us, which produces in us a joy. Look again at the text that our brother Tony read for us, John chapter 16, verse 20 to 24. And I want you to see this here. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will not, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will grieve. But your grief will be turned into joy. Now, remember, he's talking to the disciples shortly before he goes to the cross. So he's telling the disciples, hey, you need to understand, when I go to the cross, you're going to weep, you're going to lament, you're going to grieve, but you need to understand something too. Your grief eventually is going to be turned into joy. You're not going to stay grieving forever. Look at verse 21. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, as when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from me, from you. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, I say to you, I, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Do you see what he says? Ask so that you may receive and that your joy may be made full. That is, Jesus is pointing the disciples to this simple truth that if we want to receive joy, we have to get it from God. 
It comes from the Lord. That joy that we are seeking and we are desiring, that gladness, that delight, that pleasure, it comes from God himself. So how would their grief be turned into joy? It was not by anything that they did. It was by what God did through Christ Jesus, our Lord, when he went to the cross and died for their sins. And he was on that third day raised up again. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 says this. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is one of the signs that God's kingdom is here is God is going to put joy in his people as he put as he fills them with his spirit. Um, Romans 15 and verse 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That is, if you want joy and if you want peace in your life, where do you go to get it? You get it from God who can fill you with joy. So notice again, joy is a gift from God. The source of our joy is God. And that is in part because also not only is joy a gift from God, but our joy as Christians is in God himself. Think about this. Remember what uh, remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter four, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Now, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, I think Paul means there at least that to rejoice is to rejoice because we are in the Lord. There's a joy that comes from being in the Lord. But let me just add to that. I think Paul also means by that that our joy comes from putting our joy in God. That is, to rejoice in the Lord is to actually put your joy in God and not in anything else in this world. That is where true joy comes from. We find our joy in the Lord himself. Now, the reason we so often lack joy is that we seek joy in so many places where it cannot be found. Or at least that it cannot be maintained. Isn't that true? New Yorkers of all people in the world should know that this is true. You know, some of you have been rooting for the Knicks or the Nets or the Mets or the Jets. And you've been doing it year after year after year after year. And those teams just keep destroying your joy. You put your hope and say, this is our year. You know, this is going to be the year in which we finally, New York finally wins. And then. Every year, they just crush your hopes and your joy year after year. On a more serious note, some of us, we put our joy in our marriage. The problem with that is that marriage doesn't always, doesn't always fulfill us the way we'd like, right? Um, marriage can be frustrating sometimes. Um, sometimes it's frustrating because of our spouse. Oftentimes, it's frustrating because of me, you know? because of us. It's because of what's going on in us. But we put our joy in, in our marriage, and then when the marriage fails, then we fall apart too. It's hard to have a joy that's maintained in a marriage with two broken people living in a, in a sin-cursed world. It's a difficult thing. It often leads to frustration and to despair. Um, or we put our joy in other relationships. Some parents put their joy in their children. And then when their children finally stumble and their ch children fail, they're crushed. Why are they crushed? Because their hope, their joy was in the child. And when the child stumbled and when the child failed, it, they, failed they fell apart with them. Uh, some people put their joy in work. The problem with that is you could always get fired, right? You can always lose your job. Sometimes whole industries will collapse and disappear. And then not only that, but even if you maintain that job, 
what happens over time is we begin to realize that our work is just not that fulfilling. It just doesn't satisfy. It doesn't matter how high you get in the company. You always need to get higher. It doesn't matter if you get to the top. There's always another company bigger and better than yours. And there's always there's this drive that never really satisfies us. You know, sometimes we do this even in the church. Uh, I've noticed many people, their joy has been crushed over the past few years as they put their hope and their joy in church leaders who have been exposed, who have been exposed for being not what they claim to be. And many people have lost their joy because they've seen people that they trusted or they put their hope in, they put their joy in, and those people fell and they fell with them. Sometimes you see that in churches. You put your joy in a church. Well, this church is so loving. It treats us like family. We, we love God. We obey God. And then the church fails. And you're like, wait a second. Your whole world falls apart. It happens. Uh, I'll, I'll just add to that. This one's a little tricky, too, a little sneaky. Sometimes we put our joy in our spiritual performance. That is, we're trying to constantly prove our own goodness either to God or to other people, to the world around us. And what happens is some of us are constantly disappointed because we're always trying to prove our own goodness. And yet we realize deep within us that we would never truly be good enough, no matter how hard we try. There was a great joy that filled my soul um, when I finally began to pay attention to the words of that song that we sing sometimes, O Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There's a line in that song which says, may I still thy goodness prove. And one time we were singing that song and it hit me. You know what? A lot of my sadness, a lot of my frustration, a lot of my despair in life comes from the fact that I spend way too much time trying to prove my own goodness and not nearly enough time and effort into proving the goodness of God. May I still thy goodness prove. There's uh, a great peace and a great hope that comes when we can pray from the heart that line, may I still thy goodness prove. Let me just say this, the greatest and the only indestructible joy in this world comes from an intimate knowledge of God himself. An intimate knowledge of who God is and knowing that we are also known by him. That's where our joy comes from. That's where a deep-rooted, lasting, indestructible joy comes from. From putting your joy in the Lord. From putting your joy in God himself. So the source of our joy is God himself. We look to find joy in God himself. Let me just kind of suggest a few things here, though, about how this is unique. How, what makes this joy that we have through Christ Jesus, our Lord, unique from other joys that you may find in the world? Because truthfully, everybody has joy at times, right? I mean, there's plenty of different ways to seek and to find joy in this world. But let me just suggest one thing. I won't spend a lot of time on this. Uh, I'll just point you to last year we did about 12 sermons from the book of Philippians on this. And Philippians is a great case study on this truth. First thing that makes our joy unique is that this joy transcends circumstances. It transcends circumstances. You remember that in the book of Philippians? Not going to spend a lot of time there. But remember when Paul was in prison, he writes this letter full of joy, just rejoicing and speaking about his joy all throughout the letter. Why is Paul rejoicing when he's in miserable circumstances? Well, 
because his joy transcended all circumstances. So our joy is unique because it transcends all circumstances. And of course, that's uh, evidence of the, that, that's, that's proven by the fact that our joy is in God himself, who does not change. Our circumstances come and go. They change over time. But God himself, Malachi wrote, does not change. And because our joy is in God himself, then we have a joy that stays even when the circumstances change, for better or for worse. All right, secondly, what makes our joy unique? Well, our joy is rooted in reality. Now, that may seem a little bit arrogant, but let me just tell you what I mean by that. Uh, You know, some people seek joy, and they seek a joy that actually will transcend all circumstances. And the way that they do it is by escaping from reality. Have you noticed this? Uh, That's actually what a lot of people use alcohol for. Um, Drunkenness is about uh, seeking a joy that will help, that that transcends your circumstances because that drunken state helps you to, to escape the reality that you're in. Think about this. Alcohol is a depressant. What that means is not that it will necessarily always make you depressed, it means that uh, it means that it will reduce your functional activity. That is, to, it, that is, it will make you less aware of the reality around you. And that's how it works, right? Um, now, think about this. This is interesting. Paul actually says in Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And this is interesting, too, because um, in Acts chapter 2, do you remember when the Spirit first descended on the, on the uh, disciples there on the day of Pentecost? Remember, what did people think about them? Those people are drunk. They're drunk. There are some ways in which being filled with the Spirit is like being filled with wine. There's a joy that comes from it. But the difference is, and one of the key differences is, that our joy comes not from being less aware of reality, but even more aware of reality. That's what being Spirit-filled does. It makes us more aware, not just of the things that we can see, but also of the spiritual realms and the things that we cannot see. And the truths that we know are rooted in God himself. Our joy is unique because it makes us more aware of the reality of life under the sun and the life that is awaiting us when heaven and earth are once reunited with God. So our joy transcends circumstances. Our joy is rooted in reality. Thirdly, um, our joy is unique because it's already, but it's not yet, too. It's already, but it's not yet full. Um, Think about what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34. Uh, Maybe a preview for uh, discussion tonight. We're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews together at five o'clock. In Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and verse 34. Notice what the the Hebrew writer says. Um, And uh, just spoiler alert, I'm not going to tell you who wrote the book tonight. Because uh, I don't know. So Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34. This is what he says. For you showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Now, let's just pause there. That seems a little strange. Um, that seems a little unique. Whatever this joy is that they have is a little bit strange. Um, because they're rejoicing about somebody stealing their property. That, that's not normally what we think of when we think of rejoicing, right? Rejoice that your property was taken from you. Rejoice you just got your cell phone stolen or your wallet or something like that. No, they rejoice at the seizing of their property. Why? 
Notice again, they accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing, knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better and a lasting possession. Look at verse 35. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Do you see this? You notice that here what's happening? The Hebrew writer saying, hey, you guys, when you first came to Christ, you had this joy in you. You, had, you were accepting all these hard things. But now life is getting hard and it's getting really tough. And you notice that it's dragging out a while. And see, you've got this joy, but you're also, you, get, you don't have yet fully all of the joy. There's something awaiting you that you're still longing for. And you have need of endurance and perseverance because that joy is still ahead of you. And this is where we live, right? We live in a tension between the cross and the resurrection. We live in a tension between uh, death and life. We live in a tension where we have joy in God, but there is certainly a sense in which we do not yet fully have that joy completed. There's a sense in which our joy is not yet fully complete. There's a sense in which it will not yet be fully complete until we are reunited with him until we are with him for all eternity. So our joy is already, but it's not yet full. All right, lastly, our joy is unique because it transcends circumstances. It's rooted in reality. It is already, but not yet full. And lastly, our joy is unable to be fully expressed. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, another book we're going to explore tonight at 5 o'clock. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. And I want you to notice something. First Peter chapter one and verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you notice what Peter says there? Remember, this is right after he says, hey, you guys are rejoicing, greatly rejoicing, even though, verse 6, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So here you are. You're going through hard stuff. You're going through hardships, sufferings, pains, and yet you're still rejoicing. You've still got joy. Now, why do you still have joy? Well, because God has put within you a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory inexpressible and full of glory. Literally, that the, the word there is our joy is something that you cannot yet fully explain. You cannot yet fully describe. You cannot yet fully understand. And I love that. I don't know how to explain it, um, but I think it's true. We have a joy that's really difficult to fully describe to people. It's difficult to fully explain to people. But we have that joy because of what God has done for us in Christ and because of what we know God will do when we receive that salvation and the glory to come with it. Praise God for that joy, inexpressible, unable to be described, that we have through Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so we talked about the source of joy and we've talked about the uh, uniqueness of our joy in Christ. But let's finish with this. Um, what is the pathway to joy? What is the pathway to joy? 
because I don't know about you, but this is one of the things that I think happens to me. Um, I have joy in Christ, but sometimes I don't always act like it. Sometimes I struggle to, uh, to live like it. Sometimes I lose sight of it. I forget about it. And sometimes um, that I, don't act, I don't live with the kind of joy that I ought to be living with because of what Christ has done. So what is the pathway to joy? Joy is something that we have, but we don't yet fully have. It's also something that we have in Christ that must continually be renewed day by day. So how do we get that joy and how do we maintain it? Well, um, firstly, and most importantly, um, the pathway to joy begins with us getting in the presence of God, getting in the presence of God. Um, I appreciated what Tony said before the prayer today um, about reflecting on who it is that we're praying to. We are in the presence of God. Think about this. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says this. In your presence is the fullness of joy and at thy right hand pleasures forevermore. In your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. You know, one of the best exercises that you can do if you're struggling to have joy in the Lord, one of the best exercises that you can do is this. Take out a blank sheet of paper. Right at the top of it, God is. Take out your Bible, open it up and read. And write down the things that you see about God. And then take some time. As, as you're noting every characteristic, every attribute of God, take some time to meditate on it. Take some time to ruminate on it. Learn to cherish these truths about the God we serve. Our joy is in God. So the pathway to joy begins in the presence of God. We come into his presence, and in his presence there is joy. As I read the scriptures, I see that God is creative. He's mighty and all-powerful. He's omniscient, manifoldly wise. He's omnipresent, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Our God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. These are just a, just a few of the many manifold characteristics and attributes of our great God. In his presence, there is joy. So more specifically, get in the presence of God by meditation. Learning to meditate on the word of God, not just reading to read. So I can say, I hey, checked it off this week. I read the scripture we were supposed to read. No, we read for the purpose of meditating and rehearsing the truths that we learn about God and that we learn about what God wants from us as his children. Psalm 19 and verse eight, a uh, song we sing sometimes, the, the law of the Lord uh, comes from Psalm 19. One of the lines in that Psalm was, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. If I want a greater joy, if I want that joy that I have in Christ to be realized in my life, then I've got to go to the word of God 
where his precepts bring me joy. John 15 and verse 11, Jesus said this, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The implication being, if you want joy, then go back to the words that I've spoken to you and cherish those, rehearse those, meditate on those, make those a part of what your daily thought patterns are. Find your joy in me, in my truth, in the words that I have spoken to you so that your joy may be made full. By the way, this is also why we're taught to pray. John 16, verse 24, verses we read earlier, until now you've asked for nothing in my name, asking you will receive so that your joy may be made full. That is, and you see this all throughout the book of Acts. One of the reasons why the disciples were so joyful is because they were so prayerful. Somebody pointed out uh, this week in, in, our, in our Bible study, uh, one of the men who was leading pointed out uh, that, that one of the amazing things about Elijah was that he had like this, this boldness that came from him. And, and we were talking about why is that? Well, one of the reasons why that is because Elijah was a man of prayer. That prayer inspired him to have the boldness to go out and do God's work. And that's exactly what you see in the book of Acts as well. People who are going out boldly proclaiming Christ with joy, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, is how, is how Luke wrote in, in the book of Acts. Uh, a joy of the Holy Spirit. Where did it come from? Well, it came from, in part, it was refueled and renewed by the amount of time that they invested together in prayer. Coming before the throne of God talking to God, requesting of God that strength to be able to go out and to do his will. So get in the presence of God through meditation and prayer. And let me just add one more here, through singing, through singing. This is why we sing. Ephesians chapter five and verse 18, at, right after it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. You know what the next line is? Remember this? Ephesians chapter five and verse 19, speak to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Uh, this is why some of those old spirituals are so vital. Uh, people have endured many a fiery trial through the strength that the, that the Spirit supplies in song. And we need to be people who are constantly singing. I don't know about you, but those people used to annoy me when I was younger. You know, why are you always singing all the time? Uh, why, why can't you just, uh, you know, keep that to yourself? Save that for your own quiet time. We ought to be a people full of joy. And one of the ways that we express that joy is through constant hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs to the Lord. To the Lord. I'll just say this too. Sometimes when we're lacking joy, one of the best things we can do to have that joy renewed and restored is to get in, into the hymns and the spiritual song and into the word of God and to sing those things back to God. And as we do that, we're rehearsing these truths about God that strengthen us, strengthen our spirit, and renew our joy again. <clears throat> so meditation, prayer, and singing is how we get into the presence of God. Uh, let me just suggest this, too, as a second thing. Uh, pathway to joy begins with getting in the presence of God. Secondly, getting in the presence of saints who have joy in the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that that's helped you in your life? You know, when you're around people that lack joy, it's easy to, uh, to eventually um, lack joy yourself, to lose your joy. Joy is contagious, though. And when you get in the presence of other people that are full of joy, you know what happens to you? You, you, you find that joy, too. 
in, in the presence of joyful people, you can find joy. Now, I'm not talking here about people who have that, uh, I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this, but you know, that fake joy, um, you know, that always pretending to be happy, you know, pretending everything's great when everything's really not great. And you know, deep down, hey, that's not actually real. That's not what I'm talking about here. Nor am I talking about getting in the presence of people who have great joy as long as everything's going their way. But when things fall apart, then, you know, they lack it. I'm talking about finding people who have the joy of the Holy Spirit. That is, people that have learned to, when they're persecuted, walk away like the disciples in Acts chapter 5, rejoicing that they had be, been considered worthy to suffer for his name. I'm talking about people who are filled with, the, with joy and with the Holy Spirit and go out doing the work of God in, in the face of hardship and suffering and trials. Being with those people in their presence will inspire us, will renew us, will strengthen us to find joy. Many of you have done that for me over the past year, constantly renewing my joy in the Lord as I see what the Lord is doing in you and see how the Lord is restoring and renewing your joy day by day. The Thessalonians did that for Paul. We were reading last month the book of the Thessalonians. Remember that? Um, Paul reminisced when he was writing them about how they received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that was one of the things when Paul was really having a hard time and suffering that brought him great joy, was meditating and thinking about the joy with which they, the Holy Spirit had given them when they turned to the Lord and turned away from sin. So get in the presence of saints who, who have the, the joy of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'll just add to this, um, learn the discipline of celebrating when others are celebrating. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes that's a discipline because it's hard for us. Especially if our joy is not in God, but in other things. Sometimes when other people are, are um, celebrating great gifts that God has given them, it's hard for us to celebrate. Because our joy is, is not what it ought to be. Again, if my joy is in God, though, I'll be able to celebrate when God does great things for all of you. And anybody out there, too. Because my joy is not rooted in what God does for me. It's rooted in God himself and in his goodness. And I'll be... I'll have a strong and acute memory of all the great gifts that God has given me that sustains me when God is also giving others. But I'll just say that sometimes that's hard, but we should still do it. Learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. Learn to celebrate the victories of others who maybe are victorious in ways that you are not yet victorious. But learn to celebrate what God is doing in them and to be with them and to rejoice with them. All right, so get in the presence of God and get in the presence of saints who have the joy of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, um, I think this is important uh, as a reminder here. We need to appreciate the mixture of joy and sorrow in this world. You see, the, the, the danger of preaching a sermon like this or talking like this is to get people to think, hey, you know, we're just supposed to be joyful all the time. Everything's supposed to be wonderful, and I'm never supposed to be sorrowful or upset. Why am I upset? Why am I frustrated when these things don't go? Well, why is this hard for me? And it's important for us to remember that the same Paul who wrote to the Corinthians and spoke repeatedly of his great joy in that letter. He also said this in 2 Corinthians, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. Paul struggled. Sometimes he spoke of despairing even of life itself in his letters. 
Here's a man with great joy who also was often filled with great sorrow. Read, you read a letter like Philippians, you're like, man, this guy never doubted about anything. You read a letter like 2 Timothy, and you're like, wow, Paul struggled. There were times where Paul struggled, where he had hardship. We need to remember that. Um, it, it, and, and let me just add to this. The same Jesus who spoke of his great joy in prayer to God before in the garden before he went to the cross also offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, the Hebrew writer wrote. Think about that. Jesus had a great joy. That did not mean that he did not also have great sorrow. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's how Isaiah wrote of him. If there was one thing we learned from the Spirit in in the last spring, it was how to rejoice and to mourn simultaneously. Isn't that true? I mean, if you think about where we were last March and last April, we were literally celebrating the uh, recoveries of brethren while also mourning the loss of brethren. Celebrating the joys that God had given us of restoring people back to health while we were losing other people. It was, and I was learning to, 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 to rejoice and to mourn all in the same moment and all at the same time and at the same day. And, and let me just say, that is what Jesus said life would be like here in this world. Remember what Jesus said, um, what the Lord told his disciples in John 16, the verses right after what we just read about joy in verse 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We have sorrow. We have trouble, we have trials, but we have joy. Why? Because of what God has done through Christ Jesus. He has overcome the world. Which leads to the last point. We get in the presence of God. We get in the presence of others who have that deep joy. We learn to appreciate that our joy is often in this world going to be mixed with sorrow. And lastly, we feed on our future hope. We feed on our future hope. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul says this, we are rejoicing in hope. We are rejoicing in hope. I remember when I started dating Lindsay, um, the days passed so quickly, even though we were apart for many years, that was hard in a lot of ways. Um, Not for many years, for many months. Um, But we were apart for, for a number of months But I remember how quickly the days would pass. Why? Because of the joy that I had in the relationship. Um, Some of you know about that. Remember the joy of Jacob who worked seven years, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of the love and because of the joy he found in Rachel, right? Essentially, that's what we have in Christ. We have a joy. We're still suffering. We're still working. We're still... We're still facing hard things, but we have a joy that drives us through those things and motivates us and moves us through those things because we know what is coming. Romans 15 and verse 13, again, we rejoice because we worship the God of hope. We worship the God of hope. That is, we believe in a God who raises the dead. And if we worship a God who is a God of resurrection, what barrier can he not break down? What obstacle can he not overcome? What trial can he not help us through? What relationship can he not restore? What pain can he not heal? What trial can he not deliver us out of? Our God is a God of hope. 
We believe in the resurrection. And if it's true that our God raises the dead, then there is always a joy that we have in hope of what we know God will do in the end. God hasn't promised us that life will get easier today or tomorrow or even the next day. God has promised us that we'll suffer for a little while. But that's all it is for a little while. And we know that our pathway will end in joy forevermore. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says that Jesus went to the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. A future joy of what his suffering would accomplish. In the same way, we see the joy that he, through his great sacrifice, has set for us. The joy of living with him. The joy of reigning with him. And the joy of simply being in his presence. And I'll tell you, brethren, this is where we find our nourishment. This is where we find our strength. This is where we find our help that will keep us full of joy, inexpressible in a world full of trouble. Let us pray. Thank you, O Father, our God, for the great joy that you've given us through your Holy Spirit. We pray, O God, that we would live in that joy, that that joy would become deeper and deeper in our hearts day by day. Help us to see, Lord, uh, you as you truly are so that our joy would be made full. And we pray, oh God, that you would come quickly and bring us home for joy everlasting. We long for that day, not just for the joy that we will receive, but for the knowledge of knowing that we'll forever be with you. Lord, you are our joy. In your presence, we find joy and pleasures untold. So help us, God, day by day as we wait and long for your return. Help us, Lord, to put our joy in you put our hope in you, knowing that one day you will restore and complete fully our joy forevermore with you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Still have joy. I still have joy after all the things I've been through. I still have joy. I still have joy, I still have joy after all the things I've been through. I still have joy, still have peace, still have peace after all the things I've been through. I still have peace, Lord, I still have peace. I still have peace after all the things I've been through. I still have peace. I still have love, Lord, I still have love after all the things I've been through. I still have love. I still have love, Lord, I still have love of after all the things I've been through, after all the things I've been through, after all the things I've been through, I still have love.